Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition here of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your co-hosts, John Robb, joined, of course, with my wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing fantastic. Happy Tuesday. Yes, happy Tuesday. And we want to thank you all for listening. However, wherever and whenever you listen to the show, of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. All the shows are available to listen to on demand. You can have many hours of listening pleasure uh, if you'd like to do that. And we want to let you know that all of our shows here are brought to you by Kingtington Books, so please make sure you visit kingtingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and their works. We've got a great show tonight. Um, we are going to be talking none other with best-selling author Lisa Unger about her latest book, Under My Skin, which comes out today, which is October 2nd, whenever you're listening to the show. So the book is out today, so you can go and get it however you purchase books and wherever. It's available on Amazon right now, Kindle Edition, eight ninety nine, and the hardcover, seventeen seventy. So you can do that. But other than that, you ready to roll, Jeff? Anything, any good news? Absolutely. Anything else going on? No, nope, looking forward to, to talking to Lisa because the new book is great. And then we do have, uh, we are going to do a little bit of a subject after Lisa's done in the in the second half hour. We're going to be talking um, for the subject of uh, suspending disbelief in books and why is it important and why does it kind of matter. So you want to stick around for that because we're going to be talking about that one. But you know what, let's bring on our guest here, none other than, like I said, author Lisa Younger. And the book out today is called under my skin. So, Lisa, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yes. So, it's always exciting. We get you on your launch day, uh, October 2nd here with your latest book. So, we kind of be, you know, kind of first out of the gate maybe talking to you to be able to talk about your book. So, why don't you give everybody a little rundown of what you got going on? Well, I'm actually on the road right now. Uh, the, the tour for Under My Skin kind of started like oh, it feels like it started a long time ago <laughs> i've been on the, i've been on the road like you know sort of pre-publication for you know um on and off a lot over the summer and right now i'm in pennsylvania i had my launch event last night and you know i'm i'm here talking to you guys so that's that's where we're at right now that's cool well tell us a bit about what under my skin's about okay so under my skin, like, so for every book, there's always, like, a germ, you know, like a seed that, you know, where it starts kind of a thing, and it really could be from anything. It could be, like, a line of poetry or a news story or, you know, um, you know in, in this case, it was, um, it was a, you know, I have sort of an ongoing obsession with Carl Jung, like, there are these Jungian themes that kind of run through my work. And um, the, the idea or the thought that I was sort of obsessed with for a while was um, something that he wrote, which was, between the dreams of day and night, there's not so great a difference. And, you know, I kind of get these things, like, sort of stuck in my head, and it was a phrase that I kept kind of turning around, and it led me to sort of a swath of research about sleeping and dreaming and and perception. And, you know, I sort of um, 
came to, to learn in my research that we spend about 229,000 hours of our lives asleep. So it's like a third of our lives, more, than we, more time than we spend doing anything else, right? More time than we spend eating or working or, um, you know, even, you know, surfing the Internet, right? <laughs> so it's like, That's right. you know, and, and yet we're totally convinced that what our, you know, what we're perceiving in our, in our waking life is more real than whatever it is that we're perceiving in our dream life. So that kind of led me to um, discover this term hypnagogia, which is like the threshold moment um, between sleep and wakefulness. And even if you're not familiar with that word, you're probably familiar with the feeling of it. It's the place where we have these very vivid dreams of falling or where something leaps out at you from the dark and you wake up very suddenly. It's like a liminal state between sleep and wakefulness. So, um, and then, you know, this is kind of the long answer. (laughs) But then I started having um, some conversations with a friend of mine who was a former Navy SEAL and he works with um, soldiers who have uh, PTSD and we spend a lot of time talking about how, you know, when soldiers come home with PTSD and it's sort of untreated, you know, the first thing that starts to happen is like sleep deprivation, right, terrible nightmares. And then, you know, there's probably some kind of self-medication that takes place because, you know, they're not being treated and they're trying to manage their, their fear and their terror and they, their anxiety. And then, you know, a certain amount of in, after, you know, the sleep deprivation and the, you know, and the substance abuse, a kind of instability sets in and, you know, the support system can start to unravel. And so it's a pretty it's a pretty quick path to having a completely altered perception of your reality. So and any of us knows that, right? Like even a couple of nights of in, un, you know of interrupted sleep or no sleep or insomnia, and you know the world starts to take on a very different cast. So True. I was in this kind of you know this was like these were all my like many obsessions, you know, so, like, this is what happens to me. Like, I start having these, like, thoughts and these obsessions, and I start doing all this research, and then the best way I can explain it is that if it then connects with something, like, sort of deeper that's going on with me, I start hearing a voice or voices. And um, in this case, the voice was Poppy Lang, who is the lead. See, I'm finally getting to what the book is about, right? (laughs) My publisher keeps telling me, can you get it down to two sentences? I'm like... I don't think so. Oh, my God, no, not on this show. We don't want two sentences. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You can't do two sentences, right? Like, you know, yeah, the, we'll take the, everybody extra. wants you to have, like, the tagline for your book. I'm like, I can tell you what my book is about, but I need 110,000 words <laughs> to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I started I started hearing Poppy's voice, and, you know, when we first meet her, um, she's in a pretty dark place. She's a year past the unsolved murder of her husband. And, you know, she's basically trying to white-knuckle her way to a new normal, like a new idea of who she is in the world without her husband, Jack. And she's, you know, um, she's in, she appears to be doing everything right. You know, she's working. She's, you know, in therapy. But she's, you know, she's abusing sleep medication, she's taking it with alcohol, and she's also taking these kind of like 
mystery pills sort of provided to her by her you know, lifelong best friend Layla. And so um, you know, things aren't things aren't going especially well for her. She's not she's not feeling especially especially good about things. And um, then when things really start to unravel, she starts to really lose her grip when her nightmares start to amp up and she starts to experience these very vivid, like, daymares. So, like, what the brain does when it's deprived of sleep or it's, you know, struggling with whatever it is that you're doing to it, it takes these kind of, like, micro-sleeps. So it, like, sort of shuts down, like, parts of itself in order to try to reclaim energy for itself. And um, so she starts having these really vivid daymares and these, you know, these nightmares that take on, you know, a tremendous sense of reality for her. To, until she gets to the point where she's not 100% sure what's real in her waking life and what's happening in her in her dream life. And when things really start to get confusing when she um when she starts to wonder if perhaps the nightmares that she's having are actually memories of days she lost and the nervous breakdown she had after her husband's murder. So that's basically the setup for Under My Skin. That was a long answer. Oh, no, that's great. <laughs> oh. yeah. That was actually that was know, a short answer. Who well, am I kidding? Well, here's the thing I want to I kind of get into. I'm gonna, I want to kind of get into now. Here's the thing I kind of want to get into now, too, with you is I want to kind of get into the character part of – because you know you, you kind of give the plot, but now I want to kind of give in you know to the character part because you've kind of you know you've kind of done you, you got the series going, you have a couple series, then you have you know some stand you do standalones, so it's much kind of different writing. So when you're getting into a standalone, how much character creation do you like really research and do on more than plot? Where I think you know, you have less character development, I think, in a series because it's just moving forward where you're not creating from scratch. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for me, character is, a character is king. All plot, for me, flows from character. So there's no, like, plot or an idea or, you know, and or an outline and then characters kind of get plugged into that. Like, that's not how my brain works. So I'm literally, you know, I hear a voice or I have a sense of a person and I start writing. When I sit down to write, I, I don't know who's going to show up. I don't know day to day what they're going to do. Okay. I definitely don't know how my book is going to end. I don't even really know what it's about enti- entirely until it's done. <laughs> and so I kind of, you know, I get to know my character's on the page very much in the way like I discover my characters very much in the same way that my, my readers are. And in fact, a, a lot of why I write is because I want to find out about these people that are, are living in my, in my head. And so every, every book kind of comes from that place. So, you know, the, the way, the way I write and the way I work, like, you know, I do have some continuing characters and um, I have a town, a fictional town called the Hollows, and that's kind of like a recurring character for me. And the Hollows books are not exactly a series. They're kind of, you know, they're chain-linked by character and by place. So you could sort of drop into the Hollows at any point and get like sort of, a, you know, a full experience in each book. So 
they're not like connected in that series. And there's always new characters, which is like what I one of the things I love about the Hollows is that I can you know keep visiting this place that's like another one of my ongoing obsessions, and revisit you know and explore explore and expand on the characters that come up again and again. But I'm all, always able to meet new characters and to get into to their headspace. So every every book is is um you know is a like a new discovery of character for me like it wouldn't be possible for me as a writer to just write the same thing over and over about the same person like that's just not you know that's just not the way my brain works right so there's always a lot of there's always a lot of character exploration and and um um just getting to know the people in my stories, and that's part of which the, is part which, which of the is why your books are which is why your books are so very good at psychological thriller. I mean, that's thank you. That's, that's why those, yeah. I kind of think of myself as like a spelunker. You know, I'm always like trying to shimmy my way into like the dark passages within the human psyche. Well, I, I actually have a question about that because. I've read some psychological thrillers, and they make you feel icky, and you want to shower for a week after reading them. But yours, yours, you you do this amazing balance, and I, I want to know how do you balance that line between going, you know, extremely disturbing and going too far, without going that far in your thrillers. I mean, I don't. I'm not really sure how to how to answer that question. I do know exactly what you mean, but I think that you know there are you know there are sort of a lot of damaged people in my novels, and you know there are a lot of dark scenarios, and within them, people do harm to each other, much like in the real world, but. <laughs> But in, you know, I, I think that, you know, sort of maybe what separates the type of book I'm writing from, you know, the books that make you feel like sort of icked or slimed after you read them is that, you know, my characters are all really, they're really trying <laughs> to get better. You know, like in, in my, in, you know, a lot of the, most of the women that I write about in my in my books, like they may have been the victims of circumstance or the victims of a person or you know a crime but they're not they're they're not like they may have been victimized but they're not they don't define themselves as victims and so everybody's always reaching for the light everybody's always looking for the path forward no matter how wrong no matter how wrong headed their journey might be so you know and i'm always looking for that as well like i'm not you know i'm 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 deep into character and you know i think sort of at the the heart of, you know, um, my belief about people is that, you know, there there is some good in everyone and that, you know, some of us get to it and some of us don't. But, you know, it's it's the interplay between those two different types of people that, you know, really is a, a source of fascination for me. Does that answer your question at all? No, it actually does. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, think when you, I when had you to, get into no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I had to cough and I muted myself so I didn't cough on these. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, 
when when you're when you like to kind of create, and I'm always a villain person. I like I've always told everybody I always like the villains more than the heroes in the story, um, just because. And I think it's because of I like to know their meaning of why they're doing what they're doing. Um, yeah. I don't I don't really care about the how. I, I care right. more about the why. So when you're kind of thinking of a villain, do do you kind of have certain personalities and certain characteristics that you kind of wanted to make sure were in this story? Um, or did it kind of organically just appear? It kind of it's kind of a more organic it's kind of a more organic process for me than that. Like I don't have a lot of there are not a lot of like decision moments like that for me in the writing. If there's not a lot of thinking about like, oh, I want this character to embody this, or I want this character to be this. I want this to be. I want you know. I want this bad character to reveal this trait so that we can understand about him. Like there isn't a lot of that for me. Um, I you know I actually, I mean the line between villain and hero. In most of my books, it's pretty gray. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think, you know, there there may be one or two that I can think of that are, like, strictly, you know, kind of irredeemable characters within my novels. But I I think mainly, like, you know, my, you know, my thinking is that, you know, most of us, some of us make good choices all of the time. And, you know, these are the people that are, like, sort of maybe who we consider to be heroes. And some people make bad choices a lot of the time. <laughs> and those might be the people that we consider to be villains. But most of us are making some kind of combination of, of good choices and bad choices all of the time. And, you know, exploring those those lines between what makes somebody good and what makes somebody bad I think is, you know, probably at the core of all of my novels because, you know, for me, like I just have this voracious curiosity about, you know, the human psyche, like, you know, nature versus nurture or some impossibly complicated helix of those two things, like what makes somebody a hero and what makes somebody do a horrible thing, you know, like so it's a, con- it's a constant asking of, you know, questions for me about people in every book. So, you know, however those questions are being answered by characters that are doing good or characters that are not doing good things, you know, it's all, I think it's all sort of two sides of the same question. Um, Well, I I have to ask, um, we're living in a time that, uh, their issues being brought up and, uh, you know, the Me Too movement, essentially. Yeah. And uh, without getting political, I'm wondering if uh, your writing has changed somehow as a result of what's going on. Um, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I don't maybe it should. I don't know. I mean, I think that – and I actually wind up having this conversation at another point, another interview about, you know, the Me Too um, moment and, you know, um, how it's impacting, you know, pretty much everything about how we talk about and think about relationships. And, um, you know, but I, I mean, honestly, you know, this conversation is not, is not new, right? It's, it, it has been, it's having a big moment and it has been like sort of 
packaged for the media, but you know, we, you know, people, women especially, have been talking about this for a long time. And you know, the sort of challenge of the, you know, the male-female relationship in our modern society. I mean, it may be coming to a head now, but there have been, you know, lots of problems for a long time. And you know, I think that when you write about when you write about crime, right? When you're writing crime fiction, you know, you're necessarily getting into the the crux of you know these you know these these victim victimizer relationships. And you know, very often, you know, the woman is being victimized, and very often the the man is the is the perpetrator. And so, I mean, this is something that I think women have been exploring in crime fiction for you know a, a very long time. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it definitely is. Um, definitely is a different world, isn't it, than we're you kind of used to? Yeah, I mean, I do think That's it's interesting sure. that it does kind of recast. You know, you see things. You know, in in the new, in, you know, sort of under this new microscope now. Um, and you know it's it's po- it's positive. It's good. I mean, I think you know. I hope that the the con- that the conversation that we're actually having now as a culture, I hope that it leads to you know significant change in how you know women are treated at home, in the office, you know, um, in the world. Like I, I hope that the conversation leads to to ch- to change. I think it's interesting how you know you sort of start seeing things under a completely different microscope, you know, in the world with the conversation being mm-hmm. out there in the open as opposed to something, a conversation that women have been having with each other right. for a really long time. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's no I, more I like, hope, wow, I agree this has to you. stop. It's like, no, like, seriously, it has to stop, like, right now. <laughs> like, there's, you know, that's yeah. the elevation of the conversation. Like, no more of that. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I kind of think that any man who treats a woman any less than a queen should be castrated in a way. I agree completely. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Uh, I, I have no 100% problems. 100% agree, and, guys. And, and, and I have no problem. Yeah, I, screw it. I have no problems in giving my opinion on this one because, you know, I have two daughters. I have a granddaughter, of course, my wife. I was raised by my, you know, I mean, I live with my mother and my sister since I was four years old. I mean, I saw my dad every weekend, but so I've been around women my whole life, and I was always taught to treat them with nothing but, of course, respect. Because why, why would you treat a male better than a female? Exactly. There's literally not one good fucking explanation that you could ever give that would make any logical sense, except you are literally a, I don't want to say racist, but you are just a fucking moron. That's what yeah. I say. Okay. That, that, that's clear. That, there I, you go. I get, yeah. Yeah. You I mean, get that I one? Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, I just want to make sure that I'm crystal clear. I don't want anybody to email no. me and say, I didn't understand. I didn't understand yeah. what you said. No, we totally get it. We get good. it. Good. <laughs> no, right. I, good. No, it's, you know, I feel like, I mean, the, I think that that is, you know, I think that that is the truth, you know, that, I mean, for me, like, the the women in my life and, you know, the women in my books have always been, like, strong, powerful women. Like, there's never yeah. been any question that women are running the show. 
on some level in many, many homes. It's just that when the balance of power shifts, um, you know, you find yourself it with you find yourself vulnerable in ways that you know men, men maybe don't even understand. You know there are so many different ways in which you can be vulnerable as a woman. You know, I mean mm-hmm. obviously you know you talk about um, you know the idea of like the stranger stranger crime, right? Like the strange you know the stranger lurking outside your door waiting to get in. But for women, the the thing to fear has always been the man inside your house. If you're going to be sure. if you're going to be hurt as a woman, the chances are it's going to be your husband or your brother or your father who does it. And that's so sad. And it is sad. Yeah. Um, oh. But you know, it's like there's there's not enough conversation about that. You know, the the incident of stranger like you know we've elevated in our culture we've elevated stranger crime to be like you know this thing where you're constantly sort of you know trying to fend off you know, the monster that's the destroyer that's going to come in and ruin your life. But, you know, for women, yeah. it's, it's you know, it's a matter of what's happening in the home that's usually the problem. Well, I think it's the same conversation. I'll use another analogy of you, our government, or I'm going to say part of our government, wants us to be so fearful of outside people coming into the country right. and taking it over right. when the exactly. real crime is your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> You know, you, you're trying to put us in fear of this, of this, oh, my God, terrorist groups are going to come in, and we need a space force because, you know, Darth fucking Vader is real, and he's going to come down, and stuff like that. And it's like, wait a second, why does Chicago have almost 500 homicides again? And right. all the rapes and the murders and the sexual assaults and the burglaries that's going to happen tonight, not one of them is going to happen with a terrorist group. Not one. Right. Not one. Exactly. Exactly. But we keep underfunding those things and whatnot, and then, yeah, we just turn blind eye to other things because it no longer is about the candidate of the party. It's just whatever letter is in front of your name, you will either defend it or trash it until you die. Make, that's yeah. all it cares about. Because if, this was, if everything was flipped on the other side, Fox News would be going ballistic Every single right. night with the same exact rhetoric that you hear on MSNBC, just change the names. That's all right. you would hear. That's all yeah. we're at nowadays. That's where we're at. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I think it's important, you know, that, you know, of course, that, how I feel about it. And I think, but I, and I do think that it's becoming a lot, it's becoming better in a way. I'm going to use a thing for like sales for authors because I think people are strongly starting to realize now that women thriller writers are pretty damn good and can write it. Where a lot of men, you would, you would hear men, oh, I don't pick that up because that's a woman. But I think that you're starting to get more men to kind of come over and check out your work and say, damn, they, they, she can really write a damn good thriller book. Wow, yeah, I didn't yeah, even I know that. Yeah, and now your whole world you know, opens up to 25 new lot. authors that you never knew about. Right. Yeah, like, oh, Wow. Women write too. <laughs> well, thanks for yeah. not getting political. Um, um, so yeah, <laughs> probably were able to keep the conversation away from politics. Tonight, <laughs> yeah, so. um, I do have one final nah, question for you. That right I, know in. I dragged that right, right in. That was me. Yeah, yeah, I know it was you. Um, I know well. So, I would like to know how do you stay so upbeat and nice while writing books that are not about puppies and rainbows. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Maybe if I were writing about puppies and rainbows, I wouldn't be as nice. You know, like maybe my my writing is like sort of my daily exorcism. You know, like 
all my darkness, all the, you know, my dark ideas and thoughts, you know, like that, that's on the page and it allows me to kind of live in the light, you know, um, I think that that's, I think that's actually, (laughs) that's actually a big part of it. And, you know, I kind of like, I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, like I'm the person that, you know, like if you're at the movies, like it's a scary movie and there's a noise in the basement and there's a girl in the house and she's going down the stairs because she wants to know what that noise in the basement is. And everybody in the movie theater is like, go, go down there, get out of the house. But she goes down anyway. That's me. I just want to know what's down there. (laughs) But I'm still a nice girl. (laughs) That's good. Awesome. So, Lisa, we want to thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming on tonight. It has been absolutely a thrill to uh, to talk with you and to get, you know what, and to get into just a little bit of a couple different things and everything. So it was well, great to have this conversation. Well, thank you. It was super fun, ta- super fun talking to both of you guys. So but where so can people find so, you? Yeah, let everybody know your social media and your website and everything. Okay, yeah. I mean, everything you never knew you wanted to know about me can be found at lisaunger.com. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, Twitter is at Lisa Unger, and Facebook is author Lisa Unger, and Instagram is at LA Unger. I am so easy to find. It's like nice. ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, you only got, what, nine letters in your whole name, so that's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> I got your beat. I only got eight, but Jeff's got nine, and I got eight. So we're all short name people here. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's definitely that's a positive. I'm sure of it. So yeah, 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 I'm I'm very easy to find. That's all you know, and I do I you know I do interact with my readers as much as possible. You know, in real time online. So you know, definitely come visit me in social media. That's where all the authors well, are. <laughs> Well, and you're also on yeah. tour, so uh, if you're coming to an area, go see her. That's what I'm telling my yeah, listeners. Yeah, definitely. Always go turn out to see authors when they come to town, because it's just really nice when people show up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's just great, you know. So the book is called Under My Skin, and it's out today. So, Lisa, again, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It has been absolutely wonderful, and wish you nothing but the best. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great night. All right, bye-bye. You too. Thanks again. Bye. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. So, again, everybody, that is author Lisa Unger. Make sure you go to lisaunger.com for more information on her books. And this one is Under My Skin, out today. So go on Amazon and pick it up in whatever format you want it on. It is available and available right now. Um, so, And it's great. Yeah, let's, yeah, so let's kind of get into our um, our topic here real quick. And like I said, the topic is going to be, I was kind of thinking about this. I was like, we kind of got two sides of the coin when you always kind of hear. You have some authors that really want to make sure that they get everything as close to right as absolutely possible. And then you have others that take a lot of liberties in their writing. And you have to suspend disbelief because, you know, the story is still entertaining. So I always want, so I kind of wanted to ask, because you've read a lot more than I have, does it matter to you how, let's say, real the police action is to getting the DNA in, you know, a day or fingerprints and there's always a match and, you know, the technology always works and everything else? 
you know, because you know that, that that's not actually true. But do you care? And, and it depends on what I'm reading, it, in all honesty. You know, if you're reading a fantasy novel, you don't expect realism. You know, Harry True. Potter has magic and things like that. But if you're reading a crime thriller or, you know, like a Michael Conley, I would expect there would be enough realistic stuff in there for me to get swept up in the story and then actually believe everything that happens there, even though I do know it takes a while for DNA and all that other stuff. But for the sake of the story, it needs to happen at a certain pace. If it were truly realistic, it'd be the most boring book on the planet. Most police officers well, never fire their gun except at the range. You know, that sort well, of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, you know, there's always a need for hero because there's really not anybody in a book that's really in real life. And Shannon and I talked about that one night. I'm like, honey, I go, you know, there's really like probably like there's really no guy that's like Hannibal Lecter right now. You know, I mean, there just isn't. I mean, that was a guy's creation. He just made something up. But there's probably really, like, no actual Hannibal Lecter out there that, you know, whatever. Um, and things no, like that. Know. But I'm glad that <clears throat> Well, yeah, but, you know, even <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey know Dahmer, even Jeffrey Dahmer was pretty tame compared to some of the serial killers that you see in these books. I mean, let's face right. it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. and I'm glad you brought up Harry Potter. Because even though, because okay. even though you know you that's a okay? fantasy book, I am. I just got something cut my throat. Okay, that's why I took a drink. So even though yes, it's a fantasy book with magic, but still has a lot of realism in it because there's muggles. So there's still a real world that you have to talk about. But when you have so many open, blatantly open plot holes in the book. That's different. And we'll, bring, and we'll bring one up, which is, we'll just go with the Prisoner of Azkaban. We'll just go with that one, where Dumbledore gives Hermione a time-traveling thing, and she uses it not to be late to class. Like, that's the only thing that somebody would think that a time-traveling thing might be useful for, but you give it to a student to not be late for class. Say that's a big plot hole. Like, really? Like, how realistic is that? Well, she she ends up doing more stuff with it later. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean that time travel. I mean that you you have probably the most powerful tool that any race could have, which is go back in time because you could change anything and everything you wanted to, and you use it to not be late for class. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is silly. You're right. <clears throat> you know, and there's, so there's plot holes like that all the time. The Marauder's Map was another one, and it was in the same movie. You know, oh, so Harry was the only one to ever notice Peter Pettigrew. They never noticed that, you know, he was really hanging out with Ron, even though nobody knew what this guy's name was or even have ever met him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, to have a map that shows everybody, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, but then but then they want you to have, like, the realism stuff in it, too. You know, the real emotional and the things like that and blah, 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 and try to use, you know, some real things in it. So that's what I think, and I kind of agree, I do think it can be distracting sometimes if 
the hero is just so superhuman at this point where you just it just doesn't matter kind of what you do. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, no, I, I got you. Let me give you a good example of a okay. massive plot hole that ruined the entire thing for me. Okay. Um, have you ever have you ever seen Waterworld, the Kevin Costner yes. movie? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely a horrible movie, and it opens with him basically urinating in a tube, and it gets filtered through, and then it creates water, and then he drinks the water. Mm-hmm. And like, great, that's fine. And I looked at my friend I saw the movie with while we're watching, it, and I said, why don't they do that with the seawater? Uh, seriously, yeah. like, huh? <laughs> the filters are that good. You've got all this water. You, you have, water's not an issue. <clears throat> True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the filter, so immediately, if the filter uh, can filter out your waste and poisons and make it drinkable to where you can drink it and not get sick, it can certainly be able to get out some salt. Exactly. So you might have to filter it a couple times, but it should work. Right. So they didn't think it through. Never. And, you know what? I've never thought about that. I never thought about that until you just <laughs> said it fucking 30 seconds ago. <laughs> but it's so true. Now the movie's all screwed up for me, even though it was a pretty stupid movie. Yeah. But, like, you know, if – so it, it falls back to what we're talking about, though. You've got to establish enough realistic things so then we get hooked up in it, and then we can ignore the inconsistencies or ignore the things that we know – aren't really, you know, really real. Okay, so give me an example of a crime book, a police procedural book, because I think that those and the military thrillers make take the most liberties, because, you know, with medicine, you can't really change a drug's name or what a drug does to somebody, because that's just, you just would never do that. And in law, you're not going to change the procedure of how things are done, and you're going to use the law... You know, you might bend it a little bit to make it think that it's something else, but you're still going to be within the lines. So it's really like police because, you know, how they can break the law or do certain things or whatnot. Do you have a book that you think kind of took too many boundaries that kind of ruined it for you? Um, I, I don't want to mention a name, but... I will say it was a, one of the military thrillers. Okay. And give you know us, you got your special like, ops just, type thing. Okay, so just just give us like the roundabout of what the problem was. Well, okay, when you have someone doing special ops, and they work for the government, and the government's against them, and so then they have to you know go on the run, and they're in hiding, and all this stuff, and. Then you have them hopping from country to country or coming back into the U.S. And, you know, the whole thing takes place over a three-day period. You know, like, okay, you know, you shouldn't be able to leave your basement <laughs> if the government's after you and all these other people are after you. And how f- how fast can you get from one country to another? And how do you get from one country to another if everybody is looking for you? Right. You, yeah, you, know you can't just hop I, on a plane and yeah, you got fake ID. Well, they probably are watching with cameras and stuff too. So, you know, it just you you have to suspend the disbelief immediately for it to work. And unfortunately, you know, that seems to be the trend now with a lot of the military thrillers. 
Well, and you know oh, what else I noticed about military thrillers? No, no one ever goes to sleep. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, it's Jack they, Bauer. It's almost like it's almost like they never go to sleep, and no one really ever cares that they never go to sleep. It's almost like watching, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. You never see him reload, but you don't really care that he never runs out of bullets. That's not the point. <laughs> but it's right. like. <clears throat> You know, and you see that all the time in movies. It's like, how many bullets are in that gun? Jesus, it's just a handgun. <laughs> and so, you know, you do, everybody does it. And the, until you try to have the ones that make it, you know, so obvious. But then it's just sitting and you're like, wait a second. So they surprised you, but you were so surprised that you just happened to have five extra magazines on you of your gun just in case. I mean, I guess if you're prepared, but, you know, you just happen to have all this at the ready when they're going to get you. <laughs> so I always yeah, find um, that funny. But, yeah. There, there's, a new, there's, a new show that, there's a new show that premiered on CBS. It's a new Dick Wolf show who did the oh, Law & Order and uh, the Chicago He's jumped the shark, stuff. dude. He's jumped the shark. Well, FBI. FBI, I wanted to like it. I am a fan of the New York setting. I actually have been at the New York FBI offices, thanks to uh-huh. Thriller Fest. Um, so I was really kind of excited to watch it. And the liberties they took with realistic elements, you know, like getting information off of an iPhone that's busted, you know, um, their computer tech guy got information in about 15 seconds. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing, considering the phone was so damaged they said well you don't know if you can get anything off of it it's like well i'll give it a try boom like uh uh-huh realistic there and other elements of it as well Uh, considering what happens over the course of the episode from last week it's absolutely amazing how much investigative stuff happened and uh it's it's so unrealistic i was very disappointed maybe Hmm. it was just the pilot i don't know but now have you seen have you i have you seen the show um, Manifest yet? I'm kind of avoiding it. And really, I was gonna—I wanted to check it out. I think just to see what it was like, like because that because that that kind of intrigues me. Now, of course, I've I've always said once you answer the question, why did it take you five and a half years? You know, yeah. to not think well, that you you know like what happened to those five and a half years? What's your story going to be then? Like. What's well, it going to be? Tell people the premise if they don't know. Well, okay, so from the trailers that I got is that a plane all of a sudden is like coming out of the sky and it's declaring that they need to land, and the tower says that's impossible, this flight does not exist. They end up landing on the ground, and then all of a sudden they're all freaking out because this plane was supposedly crashed and buried five and a half years ago, and then all of a sudden they just show up. Now they've done and this for before. the people on the plane, for the people on the yeah, plane, the people on the plane no time has passed yeah, at all. Yeah, it, to them it was just like a normal five-hour flight. Yeah. Or whatever they were flying yeah. from. But, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I love the premise, but if you don't but, you have know, they an did end it with game. Like that, what was it, like the 4400? That, that kind of had the same kind of premise. They did it like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's been done before. But here's the question. It's like once they figure out, like, what – you know, I mean, I don't know. The problem is, is what 
you already can kind of have the answer of what it could possibly be unless they just want to go so wacky-ish. Because, honestly, it, what do you think that it has to be? Well, let me, let me, uh, let me go a little different route here. Um, for a series okay. like that, I honestly think you've got a situation where it should be a limited series. You do oh, well, 13 sure. episodes... And then done. you have it's done. Period. Tell the story. I have an end. You have the end game. I know. I'm going uh-huh. to see that ending. Instead of something like this, where if they get renewed, stretch, 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 and you keep yeah. delaying and delaying what it is. And honestly, which, which, um, which I you watched know the what first they did ten minutes. That was heroes. That was heroes. Oh yeah. Because heroes asked you the question. Oh my God, the world's going to blow up, and we're the ones that need to save it. Okay, you answered that question. You didn't need to keep going on, but it got too fucking popular, and people were wanting it again. So instead of starting another one like uh, American Horror Story where it's just totally different and saying, okay, we have a whole new plot line or whatever for it, and it's like the first one never happened and reboot it with new actors or whatever you wanted to do. No, they kept going, and it was just stupid. Yeah, once the first season was over, which was amazing, it yeah. was bad. And because the, people the whole left question it was, yeah, because the whole question was, oh my God, they have to stop the Earth from getting nuclear blown up or whatever it was supposed to happen. It was the explosion. They save all had the cheerleader, to save the world. Out. Yeah, and they all that. had to get together yeah. and figure it out, and then they stopped it. And then once they stopped it, it was like you should have just ended it. That was it. That was enough. Absolutely, and everybody you know. remember how great that show was. Yeah. Instead, we go, man, that show was lame. That show was bad. Yeah, you don't even want to watch yeah. the first season anymore, even though you could probably come back and, you know, but, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's tainted so, forever. And there were some great people on that show and great characters. And yep. to stretch it out, they ruined it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the only reason that's why, That's my worry you know, with Manifest. Yeah, I know I'm worried about it, too, a little bit. I mean, it, you know, it almost a little bit, I don't know, it's a little bit different than, like, the Langlowers from Stephen King where they land at the airport and nobody's there. That's a little different. Yeah, but at least um, they explained it sort of right away what was going on. And then right. you could go from there. And that was only, what, three TV episodes. That was like TV movie and it was done. Right. See, that's what I think that they need to do more of is more of these three and four night specials because then you could really get it in and get it out and it's more of just, you know, a four-hour movie that you're just spreading out over four nights. Right. And if they did more of those, I think that it would be a lot better and a lot... I mean, I think TV would be a lot a lot better because, I mean, I, I do. I just... I would actually yeah. watch probably more primetime TV. But, I mean, I'm not watching these shows. I don't like any of them. I just saw the freaking trailer for SVU where Marisha Hardigay is like in Supreme Court or whatever screaming about something and I'm like just why can't you just be a freaking cop man like just go solve Well and she's she's a supervisor and I understand she's the star of your show but if she's the boss you stay in your office and you delegate and do all this other stuff and she's out there doing every case every week it's a little strange <laughs> Wait a second wait a second wait a second I haven't watched this show in like I think I stopped watching it like two years before Stabler left because it just got to be, it was just too much about them. It was just too, it was, it was no longer about the cases anymore. It was just the soap opera about the cops. And I just got really tired of that. 
So yeah. what what happened? What is she doing now? Well, um, her former boss left, and she ended up taking over, so she's in charge of everybody. So Craig and, and be- Yeah, well, he was kind of forced out. but. Oh, so, uh, okay, so Craig was like, I've had it with Law & Order. Cause, you no, know, he was, don't remember. They, they pushed him out. He would have stayed. Oh, really? So, that, okay, well, he was the original lieutenant in the original Law & Order, too, if people don't remember that. Yeah, no, he, he played that character for a long time. I think yeah. he is, I think... And I've you know I've looked this up on IMDb and I forget I know he's in the top three but he could be number one in the most Law and Order episodes ever. Well, in terms of years playing the same character, I know they talk about twenty years for um, James Arnaz and 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 then all a, no 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 I'm McCoy. Uh, the other one is um, Kelsey Grammer playing Frazier. And, oh, uh, so who so who are the ones now? So, so Kelsey Graham. No, Mariska Hargitay. Well, Mariska Hargitay. This is the twentieth season, so she will be on that list now too. And Cragen probably is up there as well. Yeah, let's so. see. And uh, I'm I'm pulling up the original Law and Order right now just because I'm curious. Kind of got a little yeah, off went topic, from, but it started in ninety and ended in uh, two thousand. So, so who do you think? Okay, so this is a little trivia. So, who do you think is number one? Who appeared in the most episodes of the original Law and Order series? Three hundred and ninety-one episodes. I would say it's S. Apatha Markson. Is that, is that yep. how I say it right? You got it. Yep. Okay. And then who's yeah. number two at three hundred and sixty-eight? That would be uh, McCoy. Yep. And then number three at two seventy-four. I'll just give you the top three. <laughs> I don't know the third one. Yes, you do. Come on, think. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. You know it's not a lawyer because they always change the system DAs and, and, and ADs. There's like three of them. So it has oh, to be so a would cop. It be, so would it be Briscoe? Jerry Orbach. There you go, my man. There you Can't go. Okay. Shit. Okay, hold on. Let's try, <laughs> I was a S- fan. Let's try SVU. I love Let's that see show. if you can get this one. Let's see if you can get this one. The so 391. So Marisha Hardike, which we probably know is number one, right? Of course. Yeah, because she's been everything. Okay. Ice Ooh. T will be up there. Okay, so Marisha Hardike is number one at 442. So she's been in the most. Wow. Yeah, okay, that makes sense because she's been in everything. Okay, so one. who do you think is number two? Uh, oh, boy. I'd say it's Ice T. Ice T at four hundred and twenty, so he's at number two overall. There, there you go. Yeah. Okay. And then who would? Wow. And but number three and four are only are only separated by five episodes. Number three is three hundred and thirty-one, and then number four is three twenty-six. So who's three and four? Um, three would be, I would say, maybe Stabler. No. No. Or Craig. Stabler is. Stabler is one, two, three, four, five at two seventy-two. <laughs> Good Lord. Okay. Uh, so so who do you think? Cragen is three, and then who would be four? If it's not Stabler, it would be? Munch. Richard Belzer, who still holds the record. Because yeah, he was on homicide. You know hey, and if anybody's out there listening, um, if you want to email me, I um, I talked to Richard Belzer on the phone, and I interviewed him for the magazine about five, about, oh, probably about seven years ago, but the interview was great, and it was about his conspiracy theory book, and if you guys want that uh, issue, I'll send it out to you. 
um, because it was a really great interview that I was able to talk to Richard Belzer on the phone. It was so funny when I talked to him on the phone because he sat there and he was like, he was like, now who? He goes, now who is this again? And I go, this is John Rolfe's Assistance Magazine. Oh yeah, 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 I love your magazine. Read it for years. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and so then he just started talking. <laughs> and, uh, but he was, I mean, it was really funny. I mean, I was like, damn, I'm talking to Richard freaking Belzer, man. That's cool. Yeah, that was one of the highlights. I have to say, I mean, with all the authors I've talked to, of course, I mean, they're all great. Um, and I'm so privileged to be able to talk to so many great ones. But guys like that, I mean, that's like you rarely get a chance to talk to an actor or somebody like that. I mean, I talked to Dylan McDermott. I've talked to Richard Belzer, Courtney Gaines. Um, I had a lot of conversation with Courtney Gaines. Um, well, and thanks to you, I got to talk to David McCallum. I got to talk David to Yannick McCallum, Bisson. Yeah. I'm a huge, oh, yep, huge Murdoch Mysteries fan now. Yeah, yep, um, yeah and Hopefully, and, if we can get Hallmark <laughs> Movie Mystery Channel, we're trying to work it out so we can get some actors on there from the shows and the movies that they have on there. So we're trying to get that. Yeah, that would be awesome. Because, man, I'm, yeah. we're fans, so, obviously, yes. You know, because here's the thing about, you know, authors, unless you're a really big author, you can pretty much go directly to the author and get a hold of them and ask them to be interviewed, and it's a lot easier to go through the author because they, I would say 75% of the time they say yes, unless they're busy. But, right, and then they'll just reschedule. Right, but if it's like a Stephen King or somebody you have to go through the publicist, you've got about a 10% chance of them saying yes because – a lot of times I've talked to authors and they're like, oh, yeah, just blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have emailed blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what? They never told me. So I don't know how much publicists actually give to the clients to be able to, you know, do things or whatnot. I mean, I have no idea. Um, well, I was still amazed we got Dean Koontz to come on our show. Yeah. And that, and that was still a big thrill for me. Yeah, that was awesome. And so I still got to take him up on that lunch thing. Um, <laughs> You've got to. <gasps> I know I should. I mean, he's only down the road. But like a big author, like a Stephen King or whatnot, like I said, it's tough to go through the publicist because they probably never get it. So actors are the same way. You always pretty much have to go through the publicist to get it or have to kind of know an agent or something. And if you just aren't in those ends, you're going to have a hell of a time, you know, trying to get um, an actor or somebody like that on. It was just dumb luck we got Yannick Bassan. I'm not sure how you got David McCallum still, but, I mean, I just happened to be emailed by his publicist saying that he's doing in you know promotion and they know about us so they wanted sort of for the magazine but that was about it well i would love to get him back on because like i said uh he's done some of the hallmark mystery movies now and he's uh yeah, he that murdoch mysteries oh. is fantastic he's with, um, so he's with allison sweeney right uh no he was with um candace cameron oh okay. candace with cameron. The, uh, that's right that's right yeah with the um or tea gardens Yes, yes, that's right. The uh, murder club kind of thing that they have together. Yes, exactly. She's right. a librarian, uh-huh. and, uh, yeah, she deals with murder. What does that tell you about librarians? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what you guys do over there. But, um, yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to get some of those people on, and, you know, they will talk. Because uh, the one thing that we could get on, which are a lot easier, are the screenwriters. And those are the ones that are actually the really interesting ones to listen to. They might not be the big names that people know of, you know, like Dennis Plumbo, you know, like Plumbo is a massive screenwriter, and now he's an author. And you know, people I think are know him more for his author name than his screenwriting. If he didn't really write books, maybe 
it would be harder to people know. But the screenwriters are the interesting ones because, you know, they're the storytellers. They're, they're the, the ones, ones that, that write and create the magic all. that we watch. I mean, remember when the writer strike happened and they tried to do that award show and they try and the actors tried to improvise it and they all sucked because it wasn't <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, Billy Crystal, and Robin Williams who could improvise on a dime at that time because the writers didn't write anything for them. They had no idea what to do. They were lost. That's right. <clears throat> I do remember that. It was uh, it was kind of sad. It was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. So you know, just because they bring the words and the story to life, you know, remember. You know, Tom Cruise is maybe the face you see of Jack Reacher or Morgan Freeman of Alex Cross or whatever, but it was James Patterson and Stephen King that were the ones who brought you the stories. Right. You know, they're the ones who did it. You know, and you can go on and on, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining and this and that. Yeah, he was a great character, but, you know, Stephen King was the one who, who brained him out. You just happened to put a name and a face to it. That's all it was. So mm-hmm. the storytellers, the screenwriters, are the really, really interesting ones to talk to because they give you that, you know, in and out, and they give you the behind the scenes and what they're thinking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, and that's, that's what I always like to dive into. Well, we, we will talk off air about uh, trying to bring some screenwriters on because I would love that. And uh, yeah. we, one of the things we can talk to them about is – you know, how much do you manipulate for sake of time and story, even though it's not realistic, which yeah, we right. started our yeah. conversation with tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because screenwriters are a little easier to get to, and they'll talk a little more um, because they really don't have publicists, because really no one ever really wants to talk to them unless yeah. it's like a literary magazine maybe or, you know, people who want to write screenwriting. But it's a lot more because – you know, when I've interviewed him, I've never really talked to him about, like, the art of writing screenwriting, per se, because that's kind of like the art of writing a book. I mean, it's everybody has their own little ways of doing it. I always just kind of like to get into more of the, you know, not not the how do you do it, but, like, what are you thinking about when you're doing it? Well, Ed, I would think also speed and consistency are key because depending on what show you're writing for, you and your group are responsible for churning out a certain number of episodes in a season. And mm-hmm. you're probably working on five or six at any given time. And True. it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's a juggle. I, I, man, I would, yeah. Um, we were we tried to get Nick Centora, I remember, and uh, that fell through. I was bummed about that. Yeah, 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 Nick Centora. Yeah, because he's with Scorpion and he did Breakout Kings. Um, prison he Break. Does, he did. He did Prison Break. He did. Uh, well, he wrote for Prison Break. I don't think Breakout Kings. I know was his like his story. I mean, he like created it. I think he created Scorpion too. I think he's he a did. creator. He wrote. He wrote. He wrote a lot of Law and Order episodes um, and stuff like that. So yeah, he would. He would. He's been on both sides, and he wrote a book, and that's how I got to know him because he wrote a book called Thirteen Digits, and that was the last book he wrote. And I think just because. I think he realized, you know, unfortunately that the money was more in the screenwriting and his Hollywood stuff than it was in the author, and he would put so much time into it that it probably didn't get the returns that he wanted. And, you know, it's it's a hard gig. I mean, you you see it all the time, and I'll use music as an analogy. If let's say let's say that you were going to go watch Aerosmith, right? Okay. Aerosmith, 
you can fit in a 20,000-seat arena, okay? Playing Aerosmith songs, jamming it out. Now, you take Steven Tyler out and you put him with four other guys and he goes and tours, he's playing in 1,500-seat arenas and casinos because it's not really Aerosmith, it's just Steven Tyler. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, he's a screenwriter and known in that world, but now he jumps into a whole other world where people have no idea who he is and he's just another author. And his name is not doesn't doesn't garner that kind of attention. Right. You know, so it's the same thing. You know, so Steven Tyler has to rebrand his whole band to try to make it big and you see it all the time when these guys left and went solo and whatnot. Very few of them actually were bigger than the band they left. You know, you can, you know, I mean, a lot of them were not. You know? <laughs> yes, that is true. And they're like, well, I wish we kept the band together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the closest one, I guess, I would say is probably, let's say, Lennon and McCartney were not as big. Well, not, well they weren't as big as the Beatles. They just weren't. And they're two of the most popular ones that probably left when the band broke up to go solo on their own, and they couldn't do it. They weren't as popular as the Beatles. I mean, sure. They you were know, popular, they got, but you're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah, they were popular, but they weren't as popular as the Beatles. Wings never did anything after Paul McCartney left the Beatles and he started Wings. That band was a disaster. And John Lennon did some solo stuff, but never was anything like the Beatles. Ringo and George Harrison, please, they couldn't. They couldn't give tickets away on a billboard to get people to watch Ringo's all-star band or whatever the hell that thing was. <laughs> so, and that's exactly what you're saying. Other people from other bands team up with Ringo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you know, I know we got that's off fine. topic and we just started talking, but that's always still kind of fun to, uh, you know, talk about. But, yeah, so. Well, to the one listener you know, left, thank you. Yeah, but you know, but screen, but you know, but so you know, I when I talked to the show creator of, um, oh shit, what was that HBO show, the murder one with uh, Matthew McConaughey, and True Detective, True Detective, yeah. So I, HBO contacted me and I talked to the creator of the show, the guy who literally created this, the entire show, wrote it and whatnot, and I thought it was fascinating, but no one even knows who his name was. I even forget his name now. But you remember the actors who play in it? Oh, absolutely. You know. Yeah. So, that's what I always thought was fun. But, and I like interviewing people. I like talking to people anyway. Just because you just hear so many different great stories. You know. I used to write. Oh for yeah. And mag- I used to write for Screamer magazine, and I used to talk to musicians, and that was great because I talked to actually a couple of musicians that um. I, I idolized that I really listened to, and I was able to talk to them, and that was really fun. Actually, went on a tour bus. You know, I was on a tour bus on, on somebody's tour bus, um, and that was kind of cool. Uh, a big name too. I mean, I was on Michael Shankner's tour bus. If anybody knows rock and roll, I mean, I was on Michael Shankner's tour bus. You know, interviewing the band and whatnot, and you know, backstage past the whole nine yards. I mean, that was cool for a kid like me who grew up you know, always wanting to do that stuff. And I was behind the scenes and, you know, my friends' bands and stuff like that. But, you know, you're always at the arena going, God, I wonder your backstage pass, you know, and stuff like that. Hell, you know, what goes on? And so I was able to kind of, you know, see all that stuff. So I was always kind of fun, but I just like talking to people. I agree. And, um, you know, we, we've we been doing our show together for a while, and I'm just loving it. So yeah, well, thanks three for, years, uh, I think, right? Oh, I think we're going to hit four here. At the end of the year. 
Well, yeah, and then next awesome. year we're both going to be at Thriller Fest, and we um, easily, I've already gotten two people who said no problem in doing video interviews. So we're going to do some video interviews from Thriller Fest, post them on YouTube, and then we'll play the audio here on the show. So, you know, for people who don't want to go on YouTube, and but then you actually get to see what we look like. So that might screw up your whole, you know, sexual thing about us. So you might not want to see us. <laughs> you know, that fantasy well, you might go. get ruined. Might get ruined. <laughs> But we're going to do some video interviews with, you know, probably half a dozen people. We'll sit there and we'll talk with and, um, you know, get to know maybe a little bit better. So, yeah, so that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Looking forward to it. All right, man. Well, hey, it's always a pleasure. I will see you in a couple weeks. And uh, until next time, keep reading. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Good night.